0: So Habakkuk chapter 3, hopefully giving you enough time to get there. If you would, stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word. We're going to look at the final three verses in Habakkuk under this title, Worshiping in Difficult Days. Uh, Kind of seems fitting. You know, we've traced this difficult day theory and seen through the book of Habakkuk. So Worshiping in Difficult Days, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 this is God's word to his people. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord's God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And then some of your translations will have the inscription, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. And we'll explain why that's important here in a moment. We conclude this reading of God's Word, and we're thankful for it. Let's go to him in prayer once more. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to open your word together, to consider it together. We pray that this time would be fruitful. Fruitful in, in, in multiple senses. Fruitful in the sense that uh, there may be someone sitting in here tonight who does not know you, and, and to sing in difficult days seems strange. So we ask that through the power of the preached word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you would draw that person to confess and believe in you for salvation. And then for the believer tonight, Father, that they would be encouraged and strengthened, emboldened, and uh, walking out of this room this evening uh, with a spring in their step, not because of their circumstances, but because of the God that they serve. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. What and why you sing is more important than what you like to sing. What And why you sing is more important than what you like to sing. Uh, Music in the church is a hot button issue. Uh, Music in general tends to be a hot button issue. Um, I walked into the office this morning, uh, returning from uh, doing some uh, lecturing actually this morning, and uh, walked into Russ's office and I said, you know, old people are full of garbage. This is kind of just how I started the day. I like to keep Russ on his toes and you know he's getting up there in years and and so that's kind of my responsibility is to keep him sharp. And so I just walk into his office and sometimes we'll just blurt things out. Like old people are full of garbage. And he said, Well, you're gonna have to unpack that a little bit more. And I said, old people are full of garbage. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from older people, I remember when music was music. Now Aside from the grammar of that sentence making absolutely zero sense, uh, there's normally a kind of uh, hierarchy, if you will, where older people tend to think their music is better than younger people's music, and younger people's music people think that older people's music is dumb, stupid, and irrelevant. And I'm here to tell you, as somebody who pervades the decades of music with ease and class and circumstance, that you all are wrong it's all the same it just sounds different you guys get a bad rap because everybody says your music is so secular and then you only have to remind those who are saying it like we had good music in our day right you sang songs like if god's on the left i'm sticking to the right righteous and and so You say, David, why do you say that? I I think because a lot of times what ends up happening is we gravitate towards what we like in music. We just do. Some of us have a wider and better taste in music, and some of us have a very narrow, um, unrefined palate. And so it just tends to be what your own personal preferences are. The problem with that is we end up mindlessly singing along to things that we like, and not paying attention to what we sing. We are not good examiners of content. And I don't mean just secular music. This is not a diatribe against listening to secular music. I try to listen as much secular music as I can stomach in one particular setting, which tends to be hours upon hours upon hours. Now, it tends to be a shade older than Where I am in life, but again, you got to go where the class and the taste is, I guess. I kid. But here's the deal. I say this tonight because Habakkuk goes through so much difficulty and is anticipating so much pain, and he ends his particular situation and setting by singing, which is not normally what people do. We don't normally go through difficult things and in the middle of going through difficult things and difficult days and trying circumstances, walk around singing. That's not normally our natural response. And I think if we are honest tonight, we, the reason why we don't sing when we go through difficult things is because we don't often think about who and what and why we're singing. Otherwise, our congregations would look and sound differently when they sing. They just would. They would be louder, uh, perhaps, and, and, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but a, more emotive in the way that they express themselves as they sing. But a lot of times, I think we're just here, and we'll transition right now back to church music. We're here worshiping, supposedly, but nobody who actually is paying attention to us as we sing would ever charge us of being guilty of worshiping. Because on the outside, at least, we look like we would rather be anywhere other than where we currently are. And Habakkuk actually shows us how to worship in difficult days. How can we actually do that. Well, number 1. So, three just quick ways that we can worship during difficult days. Number 1, worship in spite of pain. So, here's a guy who is singing and the opening stanza, the opening refrain of his song starts off like this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. This is not exactly a, um, a barn burner, let's jump around, bump into each other, lay down on the floor, worship God kind of entry point into a song. Uh, you, you know, everything's not awesome here. Uh, everything is not good when you're part of a team. We've been part of a team, and it's been maybe the wrong team to be a part of. Notice that the way that Habakkuk opens this hymn. He notes all of the destruction that will be, and may be, and will be around him. But this isn't going to keep him from worshiping. Contrast that with modern-day Christians. The building's too hot, I don't really feel like worshiping that much. The building's too cold, I don't really feel like worshiping that much. In fact, I like a heater. Uh, The coffee's tepid. There is no coffee. I have to wear a face mask. I don't have to wear a face mask. I'm wearing a coat and a tie. I'm not wearing a coat and a tie. Something is always to blame for not being able to worship. And Habakkuk says we have to worship in spite of the difficulties that we're facing. And these are real difficulties, not fake difficulties and you're like how do you know the difference between a real and a fake difficulty a fake difficulty is not being inconvenienced uh, they didn't really like uh, they didn't sing the song that i would have sung this evening well jo- that's all jolly well and good why don't you apply to be a worship pastor somewhere and go do it that way other people can be frustrated with you well jimmy did you know just not enough energy to open or it's too much energy They want us to clap? Come on. That's an inconvenience. you got to be kidding me. You didn't have to sneak in here tonight. You didn't have people making sure that you're not an undercover police agent who's come to beat me up and beat up the worship team and beat up the adults and take them to prison and maybe kill a couple of us just to show and make a point. You walked in here from your air-conditioned car, Yeah, I get it. It's hot. It's humid. It's the summer. It's August. We walk. I just can't go to church. It's raining outside. I get it. It's dangerous to drive in the city when the sun's out. But the difficulties that you actually face, we've got to reframe the way that we think about what it means to live in a culture and a society that experiences difficulty. Some of you walked in here tonight with like legit difficulties. You don't know how you're going to pay for school. And taking another loan just does not seem to be a smart option. Someone in your family is sick. You're sick. You're worried about being sick. And you're worried that if you say you're worried about being sick, somebody's going to make fun of you for being worried about being sick. A loved one just died. A loved one's about to die. Those are real difficulties and pain. I'm not putting that down. But Habakkuk says, look, I know what's coming for us as a country. I know what judgment we're going to face. And we've got to somehow find the metal within ourselves. And notice how he's going to do this here in just a moment. But we've got to find the metal. We've got to search inside of ourselves for something that's going to launch us to sing. Say what you want about Habakkuk. You know, he's got a weird name. He's a small book. But at least Habakkuk's honest about his situation. I am so... Help me to be kind tonight, Lord. I am so sick and tired of the people who come into our churches acting like everything's okay. They sit in small groups, and people ask them, how can we pray for you? Everything's fine. I'm fine. It's all fine. And meanwhile, it's the meme of the dog sitting in the middle of a fire, and everything's roasting them, and they're like, I'm fine. I have nothing that I stand in need of being prayed for. At least Habakkuk, and this is what I love about the Bible, at least this joker's honest. At least he's going to say, hey, look, I don't know if you looked around here recently, but... This place is all about to be destroyed. Some of you, the issue of being able to worship in the midst of the pain is admitting that there's actually pain going on in your life and letting people in to allow you to worship along with them as you are experiencing pain. The American church has absolutely done a disservice to its students, and I would say that you are a casualty of it. To come to church and fake that everything's okay. Mom and dad are screaming at each other all the way here. From the moment they leave the driveway to the moment they pull into the church parking lot, they're screaming at each other. Marriage is on the rocks. Everything seems to be they're up to their eyeballs in debt there's just no peace at home they they got the kids in tow and some of you are like this is getting way too personal were you in that van no i was not but i know a lot of them that pulled into churches and they're screaming and bickering and fighting and you're punching people and your dad's threatened to turn around the car so many times you don't even know what direction you'd be going in if he actually did it at this point point. and you get out of the van and walk in and you have just experienced like 30 minutes of world war ii And the greeter's like, and how are we this morning? And your mom and dad are like, great. And you're like, what? How is that even possible? I said to a group of apologetic students this morning, the place where I want people who are broken, who are hurting, who feel like the church is full of a bunch of fake people who have a lot of questions, don't understand why it would be rational to believe in Christ or the Bible because of things that they've seen and experienced in their life, the place that they should feel the most comfortable coming and expressing those concerns is the local New Testament church. But instead, we got a bunch of people who are like, I'm fine. It's okay. Everything's fine. Well, your car looks like it came in riding on rims. It's fine. So I just ask you tonight, when pain comes in life, where do you turn to for help? Do you worship God or turn on him? Some of you are like, we love to worship. We just don't like to worship him when life's difficult. So we need to learn first to worship in spite of pain. And then look at what Habakkuk does. He pivots and he does this. He rejoices in the God that saves. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. It's all going downhill there's only one right response rejoice in the lord and find joy in the salvation that he provides habakkuk determines that he will celebrate and rejoice in god that saves is judah facing trouble are they all about to face dark days are they being judged yes to all of it but god is still his savior is our world falling apart today Are we, as a country, facing dark days? And if you think the dark days that we're facing is about a presidential election, boy, have you missed what's been going on for the last, I don't know, 100 years. You're like, I'm not 100 years old. Well, read a book. We act like this is the first time our country has ever experienced anything difficult. It just keeps piling and piling, because sinful people pile on top of sinful people. And we think, oh man, we'll just fix it by electing this person. Wow, has that not worked for, I don't know, ever. One of my favorite things, I I just confess this right now, I grew up in a pretty conservative home, both Christianity-wise and politically. And I collect random things, and you can talk to Jess about all of the interesting little things that pile up around our house for my collection. But sometimes I like to collect things just to remind myself that when everybody talks about the good old days and the glory days, not everybody was so convinced that they were glorious. Everybody loves to talk about Ronald Reagan as a great president, and I no doubt agree with that assessment, but not everybody agrees with it. In fact, in my, one of my prized personal collection items is a, a pen from uh, the opposing, uh, opposing election of Ronald Reagan. It's a get Reagan out of the Oval Office pen. It is like, I love it. And you're like but well, you're conservative. Yeah, but I love it because I think we all live in this land where everybody thinks if we just get the right guy in the White House Here's the deal. We don't need to get the right guy in the White House We need to make sure that the right guys are standing on the stage in a church house and they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ And we're saying that's the hope that the world needs that right there I'm telling you this right now Come hell or high water and nobody in the White House going to do anything. that's going to fix the main problem with this country until christians fall on their knees and say we're going to rejoice and joy in the god that saves you want hope you want a reality you want something better than what you're experiencing right now you need jesus and if we're not careful we will continue to cycle as a country and as churches around trying to come up with some solution to all the problems and all the evils and all the woes that we face i think and we'll get there in october and we'll unpack Man, what does it look like to be a good Christian citizen in the land? Some of you are going to like what I have to say a lot. And there are going to be times where you don't like me a whole lot. And I'm okay with that because I don't really preach for your opinion and your liking. If I leave here and God's pleased with what I said, I don't give a rip about what you think about it. Because I'm just a messenger delivering mail, y'all. And if you forget that around here, you're going to be upset. And you're like, man, that was really good tonight. And then the next week, you're like, I didn't really like that because it's not about you. It's about what God's word says to you. And Habakkuk is telling you tonight, if you do not figure out that your worship needs to be not about what you like or what you want, but about the God who actually redeemed and saved you, you're going to be frustrated nine times out of ten when you're sitting in here. You're like, I don't really, can we move? Sure. But guess what? You are going to follow you wherever you go. And until you fix your heart problem tonight, so you get your heart right, there ain't going to be one preacher in the country who can make you happy. Because eventually we all, unless he's just a heretic and not worthy to stand in a pulpit, if all he does is tickle your ear and make you feel good, and you walk out and you're like, I'm the best person ever, a pretty good chance that you did not go to church, you went to a self-help seminar, and that will lead your sorry behind to hell faster than you can ever believe because your biggest problem is not needing more self-help and self-love your biggest problem is the fact that you want to worship you and you need to do what Habakkuk does and say I don't care what's coming I'm gonna worship the God that saves because he's the only one that's worthy of worship and I'm gonna fall on my knees I'm gonna worship him some of you s- stand around here and you sing like you're sucking pond scum does look like you are madder than mad to be here you're like how can you tell I can tell from the body language of your back I had to see your front. You know, the God who moved the oceans. Whatever. Who cares? What? Moses goes up. You got the Red Sea in front of him. And Pharaoh's army behind him. And we ain't got anywhere else to go y'all we're stuck what does he do he trusts that god is going to save them, and he raises a staff and if you think his staff had he could have done this he could have done that he could have gone this he raises a staff in the red sea parts and they cross on dry land and, and as they go out of as they're leaving they're singing i'm going wow he's the god who's saved that's what that's what fuels joshua and caleb we talked about this a little bit last week joshua and caleb go in to spy out the promised land and they come back going we can take these guys why because they just crossed through the red sea some of you all have forgotten what god has done in your life that he rescued you, that he saved you, that he pulled you out of a miry pit. And you're like, a miry pit? Yeah, that's called your own sinfulness. You're like, oh. We're going to face difficult days as a country. We're going to face difficult days moving forward. In fact, we're going to face difficult days until Jesus decides, you know what, I'm going to come through the eastern sky and I'm going to take all my people and we're going to get out of here. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and we will reign and rule with him forever. But until that happens, we're going to face dark days. And I'm, 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 I'm sitting here, or I'm not sitting, I'm standing. I'm, I'm standing here going, I think we really haven't bought into the fact that the difficult days are here and they're here to stay. I think we've been lulled to sleep by American Western comfort to believe that this is the good life. And I think God has come in, and he has stripped us away of every idol. I mean, every one of them. New TV, gone. New movies, gone. Going to movie theater, gone. Unless you come up with some super creative way to do it, gone. Pro sports, gone. They're like, it's okay, we'll have college football, gone. People are like, in the South are trembling. They know the Lord is coming back now. If Alabama doesn't play college football, oh my gosh. He's stripping away all of them. Comfort, gone. Well, it's not too bad yet. Wear a mask then. It's like God is literally saying to us, have you forgotten who you serve? You want to get rid of me? I'm telling y'all, it's dangerous. I had someone tell me, you better be careful with that judgment stuff. Somebody liable to knock you around. I'm not saying God is judging America. All I'm saying is, what else does he have to take to get a hold of your attention? Because there ain't much left. He's already shut you down for 15 weeks. Is it because we are not focused on worshiping God regardless of the day, let alone in difficult days, just regardless of the day? Habakkuk says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to find my joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer out loud, uh, and I don't even really want you, if you're taking notes, don't answer this like in the margin. When was the last time you thanked God? I'm serious here. When was the last time in prayer where you genuinely took time and thanked God for saving you? Like, oh, this sounds nice. I should rejoice in the Lord. And I, you know, I, we need to, we need to find joy in the God of my salvation. That starts with a thankful, grateful heart. One that's so overwhelmed by the fact that God would save you. I I, I guess we have to ultimately become unimpressed with ourselves. Look, there's nothing impressive about me. There's nothing impressive about me that would make God save me. God doesn't look at me and go, you know, if we don't have Dave Botts on our team or on our side, we're really going to struggle. There's nothing about me. I'd be gone tomorrow. The college ministry will survive. Hey, good. I can go out tonight, get a car wreck and die. The college ministry will continue on because nothing's going to stop God's church from pressing forward. I'm not essential to this, but you know what? God has called me to be faithful and to worship him along the way. And some of you have too high of a thought about yourself. I'm going to rejoice. So when was that last time that you praised and thanked God for saving you? Maybe tonight you just like, during that final worship song? You just need to take that time and just thank God, like, I don't deserve to be saved. There ain't nothing about me that is redeemable. And of myself, I'm unworthy of being saved. And it's been a long time, so I thank God for, for rescuing me. So first we see you've got to worship in spite of pain. Then you've got to rejoice in the God that saves. And then finally, you worship with sovereign confidence. Look at verse 19. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. Habakkuk points to where and how he will be able to continue to put his ultimate trust in God. He believes God's strength will be enough to keep him. And Habakkuk points to the God who sets his feet. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, God orders my steps. That's how I can worship him. I got confidence. Confidence in God. Where's your confidence in your day-to-day activity? How much of your day-to-day life revolves around you thinking you've got this? You do little power poses and mantras of I've got this. And you encourage yourself, just trust in myself. You do the opposite of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Instead of trusting the Lord in all your ways, and he shall direct your path, you say, trust in myself all my days, and I will direct my path. And you're wondering why you can't seem to be going in the right direction, and you keep getting turned around. It's Because you're looking at the... You ever punched in the wrong place in a a GPS? I won't name names, but certain people here um, have missed weddings because they punched in the wrong location for the wedding, only to arrive for the reception, which maybe was unintentional or could be intentional. You never know. I know in that brother's case it wasn't intentional. I, that would be something I would do unintentionally. You get there and you're like, that's not where I'm supposed to be. We did this traveling one time. Jess said, "You know where you're going?" I'm like, "Yeah, I know where I'm going." We had only gone to her uh, parents' house like 150 times. Yeah, I know where I'm going. You want me to put the GPS on? No. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take a quick nap and like just. I'm like, I got it. It's okay. The only problem is, is um, you get on I-69 to go to um, Jess's parents' house. When you get on I-96, uh, uh, you go to the western side of Michigan in the opposite direction of where you're supposed to be going, which is wonderful and good if you want to catch a minor league baseball game in western Michigan, but not if you're trying to get to your in-law's house in time for dinner. So an hour down the road, I'm, you know, Jess wakes up, and immediately she knows. I don't know, she's from Michigan. Maybe she's got all the trees memorized or something there. <laughs> she's like, we're not, this is not where we're supposed to be. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, it is. One I-96, everything's fine. She's like, it's I-69. An hour in the wrong direction. Some of you all, your life is like the way that I drive, directionally challenged, thinking confidently that you know where you're going. Jess would tell you this about my uh, directional navigation, he may be wrong, but he's never in doubt. And some of you, that's how you're living your life. Your confidence is in all the, wrong place, all the wrong people, and you're arrogant about it. I know what's best. And ain't hey, nobody in my small group better say nothing to me about the way I'm living my life, because I know what's best, and I'm doing it. I'm Johnny Super Christian. You better just stay away from me. And you need a friend to just lovingly slug you in the mouth and tell you you are not God. And to put your confidence back in the God who should be directing and ordering your steps. I ask you this when you're worshiping, you, you, you read this, and Habakkuk's singing this in the middle of it. How can Habakkuk do this? How can he pull this off? Why how can we sing this way? Why can we, like Habakkuk, sing our guts out and proclaim that God is worthy and find joy in Him? Because we have bought into the reality that God is who we have to be clinging to. It's funny. You never know how the Lord is going to order different events. Uh, Rick Van Hooser looks somewhat similar in body size and shape to my dad. And he came out of the office hallway as we were coming down here, and Jess had gone around the corner, and it was just me and Harper walking this way. And Rick said something muffled through his Mask and Rick's voice is also eerily similar to my dad's voice. This is why I'm probably not intimidated by Rick. And everybody else is like, oh, I'm not. And Harper turned around and thought for a minute, Papa is behind. And then she realized that's not Papa. And as Rick got closer, she, in something I'd never seen her do before, ran and clung to my leg. Like, I thought that was Papa, and that's not Papa, and that's, a, that's an imposter. <laughs> and as he walked by, she clung tighter, and I thought, I'm going to lose circulation from this 18-pound baby. Like a vice grip on my leg. We're like, oh, that's so funny, and that's so cute. Yet, none of us cling to God that way. We don't see danger, or we assume that we know what's right coming toward us. We realize but it's not good for us. And we're like, eh, it'll be what it's going to be. It'll be what it's got to do. And we flirt with danger. Instead of like a child who understands, I need my dad to keep me safe from this person who's faking to be my granddad and clinging to their dad, we like to flirt with danger all the time. And our worship reflects that we're not really sold out to him. Because Habakkuk sings his guts out, I think we can, too, if we buy into the reality that this God is really sovereignly in control of all things. That's what motivates Habakkuk's worship. Do you worship God that way? Or just when it's convenient? Let's pray.